Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe, just maybe, the wisdom of podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most invigorating and interesting and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato or Dostoevsky or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks, as you can be certain of one thing, they will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the wisdom of, coming up today, Alexander Nihamas's Only a Promise of Happiness. everyone. So, happy holidays. And thanks for listening. Well, you know what? I'm uh, flying solo today, as the snow in these parts has made it very, very difficult to commute. Anyway, so today I thought I'd talk a little bit about a pretty influential little book by the contemporary philosopher Alexander Nihamas. It's called Only a Promise of Happiness, The Place of Beauty in a World of Art. Nihamas is a professor of philosophy and comparative literature at Princeton University. His specialties lie in ancient Greek philosophy and aesthetics. All right, then, um, you ready? To the topic of beauty we go, then. Okay, well, so before we look specifically at Nihamas's view, I think it's crucial to step back and give some background context here. And that's because what Nihamas is doing is he's reacting to an important and hugely influential philosophical approach to beauty, beginning back in the 1700s with the German philosopher Immanuel Kant, and then with another German philosopher after him, Arthur Schopenhauer. Okay, so what's this approach exactly? Well, basically what Kant argued was that our experience with beauty must be one of disinterestedness on our part. That's to say, our contemplation or consideration of beauty must be independent of our desires and interests. So, when we contemplate beautiful things, we should have no interest in possessing them or have any interest in their consequences for ourselves. Or to put it another way, maybe, according to Kant, a thing's beauty must be free from or independent of that thing's use or purpose or value for us. This is what's come to be known in more modern times as uh, the aesthetic experience or the aesthetic attitude. As Nihama says, this is a pleasure bereft of desire. <laughs> 
Okay, so notice a few things then. First, notice that beauty on this account then is not something that belongs to the everyday world. For the reason that, well, our everyday world is one that's pretty much inseparable from our desires, our needs, and our practical concerns. And so an important implication of this, actually this is something that Schopenhauer especially stresses, an important implication is that our encounter with beauty is going to be something that draws us out and away from the world. In other words, this sort of account gives rise to beauty in the arts as a completely separate and distinct thing from everyday life, as completely autonomous. And two, notice that this approach to beauty, divorced as it is from our bodily being, seems to have nothing romantic or passionate or emotional or sensual about it. In fact, there seems to be something highly intellectual and clinical about it, and, you might say, even superficial. Beauty seems to become something lofty and rarefied. Okay, so having said all of this, I think now, maybe, we're in a better position to begin to understand Nihamas's view. So, what Nihamas is doing in his book, Only a Promise of Happiness, is he's presenting a view of beauty in stark contrast to Kant and Schopenhauer's formulation of it. That's to say, he's presenting an account of beauty that's passionate and sensual and so not separate from our desires and interests. And so, importantly, an account of beauty that's not divorced from the world around us, but rather entangled in it. Now, I don't want to go into all the details, but Nihamas is, in some sense, using Plato as the foundation of his view. He's basically setting up Plato against Kant and saying that he's on Plato's side. Okay, well, so what did Plato say about beauty? Well, as you might expect, Plato wasn't afraid of linking the experience of encountering beauty with unbridled passion, at least initially. For example, in his dialogue, The Phaedrus, Plato describes a man who sees a beautiful boy for the first time, and what he says there is that this man shudders in cold fear, and he trembles, and he looks upon the boy as if he were a god. You get the point. Beauty produces a, a passionate response, one that's nothing like the later sterile aesthetic experience or attitude I talked about a moment ago. You know, the one that we moderns bring to the gallery when we stare at those paintings with great reserve, detachment, and solemnity. Actually, speaking of galleries and our, you know, our formal approach to them, let me just diverge here for a moment. You know, it's pretty interesting how differently people in the ancient past approached the, the so-called arts. I mean, for example, in ancient Greece, when people went to the theater, it was absolutely the most informal spectacle you could imagine. Theatergoers would stay in those outdoor stands all day for, for several plays in a row, and they'd eat their lunch there, and they'd even throw their food at the actors if they didn't like something. Think about how things have changed over time. Now when we go to the theater, what do we do? We, we dress up, 
We sit quietly, and then we try to get all intellectual about it. The same goes for symposiums, too, by the way. I mean, symposiums in ancient Greece were essentially drinking parties. Actually, that's what the word means. Where, where people would get together and talk about some particular issue. Plato's great dialogue, aptly named Symposium, is of course a good example of this. That infamous symposium is eventually marked by, well, full-on intoxication and passionate discussion. Now again, think about our symposiums today. What do we do? Well, we sit quietly in some formal academic environment and listen to someone talk, reading off of their notes with great reserve. My, how our approach to such things have changed over time. Anyway, so back to Nihamas and Plato. So I was saying that unlike Kant and Schopenhauer, who both in their own ways sever desire from the contemplation of art, Nihamas in part follows Plato in arguing that the proper reaction to beauty is love or the desire to possess it in one way or another. Okay, but that's not all. You see, Nihamas partly follows Plato in some other ways as well. So, one of Plato's most incredible insights, something we get from his dialogue, The Symposium, is that beauty, or beautiful things, draw us beyond themselves. And by the way, if you want more detail on this, this is something we discussed quite a bit in one of our earlier episodes, an episode we devoted to the topic of Plato and love. So, uh, check it out. Anyway, I was saying that what Plato believes is that when we encounter and experience beauty, what it does is it causes us to love other, higher beauties, and eventually it leads to goodness and to truth and ultimately to happiness. Now, this idea that beauty secures our happiness and that beauty just won't ever let us down is really important, and it's something I'll return to in a moment. Okay, well, like Plato, and against Kant and Schopenhauer, Nihamas claims that beauty, far from drawing us away from the world, actually leads to greater immersion into it. That's to say, for him, a beautiful work of art, or a beautiful person, makes us not only want to have those things in our lives, but it makes us want to explore and to learn more about them. Nihamas's own personal example here, the one that he describes at some length in the book, is his encounter with Manet's painting, Olympia, which of course he considers to be beautiful. He says that encountering Manet's painting was no short-term thing. No, what happened is that its beauty and its fascinating nature made him want to not just stare at it, but it made him want, you ready for this? to learn about, among other things, the institution of the Salon, the history of art criticism, the social structure of the mid-19th century Paris, the connections between prostitution and the working class of the time, and the history of nudes. So, it turned out that the beauty of Olympia for Nihamas was no passing thing. No, it turned out to be a three-year love affair. Well, this is the power of beauty. 
It impels us to want to know more and more and to expand ourselves and to go broadly into the rest of the world. So far, Plato would agree. Okay, but here's where Nihamas diverges from Plato. You see, I mentioned a moment ago that Plato believes that you really can't go wrong with beauty. That beauty will lead necessarily to happiness. But Nihamas disagrees. The encounter with beauty will expand us, yes, and we'll definitely learn more about things. But there's also something inescapably uncertain about what it will do to us and where it will take us. In other words, beauty's power over us is unpredictable, and it can take us in directions we had never expected. It may even wound us in ways we could never have anticipated. That's why the title of his book is Only a Promise of Happiness. Because as much as we think beauty will deliver happiness, it's not guaranteed. As Nihamas himself says, beauty draws us forward without the assurance of success. Who knows, our encounter with beauty may may bring great happiness, or it may be our first step into a life of failure and debauchery. This is what's always going to be slightly demonic in beauty, and it's ineradicable from it. Maybe then, what's truly worthwhile about our experience with beauty is not that it might ensure happiness, or as uh, Keats says, sweet dreams, but that it'll leave us with new ways of looking at the world, and so ultimately a little richer than we found it. But That's just to say that beauty is always going to be its own reward, despite how it is our lives eventually turn out because of it. This is the risk we take when we let desire back into beauty. We have to contend with that strange, feverish sweat. to the wisdom of podcast if you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general visit wisdomofpod.com and as usual we love to read your questions and comments reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on twitter at wisdom underscore pod our next episode 